episode two, Cinephiles Digest. Thank you guys for listening. My name is Matt. And this is Travis. How's it going, Travis? Oh, pretty good. Uh, excited to do this episode again. Yeah, so uh, <laughs> basically what happened is we attempted to record this episode last weekend. We're doing a featured review split, and we got through the whole episode with Tom, and I went to edit the tracks and realized that Tom and I's track audio is completely fucked up. Levels were off the charts. Our voices sounded really loud and shrill, but Travis's track sounded just fine. So trying to mix them together. It just sounded like garbage, and we weren't going to put out a garbage a garbage podcast. Well, maybe they're all garbage, but we don't think so. Um, and no, then Tom... I was, uh, I was pretty proud of that episode, but um, we're going to try and recreate it as best we're gonna, as we can. I think we'll, we'll be okay. Unfortunately, Tom isn't able to join us today because he's a, he's a busy little bumblebee, so he was not available to re-record the episode and probably has better things to do anyway, so... Just going to be Travis and I for this episode, but I think we'll be okay. So, anyway, uh, first episode, what are your thoughts on uh, how that went, Travis? You listened to the whole thing, right? Yeah, I thought it went pretty well. Um, I listened to a lot of podcasts throughout the day. I probably listen to more podcasts than music, and um, so I'll probably always listen to our own episodes. Um, but I thought it went pretty well, especially uh, given our equipment setup in we had a couple of technical difficulties along the way and, um, it just being our first episode. Um, but yeah, it turned out pretty well. Um, I think we can only improve from there though. Yeah, I was, I was happy with it. Um, definitely went a little long. That's definitely been the most feedback we've gotten is that it's a very long episode. Not everyone's down for a two hour, 40 minute episode, but we had, we had a lot to talk about. I mean, we were covering an entire year. All three of us saw a lot of movies, but I was ha- definitely happy with the final product. Um, yeah, I mean, if I'm hoping we're still doing this, you know, this time next year, and um, I'm assuming our 2017 episode will be around that long as well. But uh, most of our episodes should be around 90 minutes or so. Yeah, and the goal is still to do this bi-weekly, but because we had that snafu last weekend, this episode is going to go up in the middle of this week, and then we're going to plan on record our third episode week from today. Uh, I think the tentative goal is to still do John Wick Chapter 2. So we'll see how that goes. But once we get our footing moving forward, there should be episodes every other week and not have this delay or have two episodes this close together, unless we decide to go weekly. But um, So the plan for today's episode, our feature review is going to be Split, M. Night Shyamalan's new movie. Hopefully most of you guys have had the opportunity to see it at this point because it's been out for about two weeks now. Um, But first thing we're going to talk about is our most anticipated movies of the year. I don't have a numbered list. I just kind of have some movies here that I'm looking forward to. We'll talk about them. Um, So we're going to start there. Um, Travis, you want to kick us off? What's your, uh, one of the movies you're most looking forward to this year? Yeah. So I'm a list guy. So I made a uh, top 10 for this year. And uh, first one, I'm going by release date. Um, according to Wikipedia, the most trusted site mm-hmm. on the web, uh, <laughs> Kong Skull Island comes out on March 10th. Is that soon? Really? Yeah. The trailer looks amazing. Uh, it's got John C. Riley in it. Just looks like a lot of fun. Yeah, I do. I do think the trailer looks cool. Um, who's the who's playing? Who's the main character in that? Is it Tom Tom Hiddleston? Isn't he in that movie? 
I believe so. <laughs> I've only seen the trailer once. Yeah, Tom Hiddleston, Brie Larson's in it, Samuel L. Jackson. It's directed by Jordan Voigt Roberts. What has he done? He has done... Oh, he did The Kings of Summer. Oh, that movie with the the kids who like go live in the in the woods for the yeah, summer, right? Summer, yeah. I like that movie. That was a good movie. <laughs> yeah, it was pretty good. That's kind of weird that he's doing this now. Interesting. But. Okay. Well, so one of the movies that I'm most looking forward to this year is Guardians of the Galaxy Volume 2. I was a huge fan of the first one. That's definitely my favorite Marvel movie. Um, trailers seem promising so far. I, I hope there's some surprises in store because it looks pretty familiar so um but i love the cast i love that universe i think it's a lot of fun um james gunn is a a big fan of his work so i like what he did with the first one so i'm looking forward to see what they do with this one i think that's a may release or august i don't actually have release i think it's like may 5th may 5th okay cool so that's that's the one i'm definitely looking forward to yeah that looks awesome i was a fan of the first one as well What's isn't what's the other Marvel movie that's coming out in twenty seventeen? Aren't they doing like two a year? Well, I think like Wonder Woman. I think comes out this that's year. DC or fuck. <laughs> <laughs> I just folded a Tom. <laughs> uh, Black Panther. Thor. Oh, is. I'm pretty is sure it Thor's coming Ragnarok? out this year. Okay, yeah. I think you're right. Yeah. Okay. Well, anyway, I'm looking more forward to Guardians of the Galaxy then than Thor. I haven't even seen the first two Thor movies, so. Um, is it your turn? Yeah, so same day as Kong Skull Island is The Wall, uh, directed by Doug Lyman and starring Aaron Taylor Johnson, who's kick-ass, and he was in Nocturnal Animals, and then uh, the WWE superstar John Cena. (laughs) So remind me what this movie is. I have no idea what it is. It's it's a war movie. It it looks like it's going to be just a big sniper battle played out through the course of the film. Um, but the trailer looks pretty cool. Uh, it looks kind of like something like The Hurt Locker. Um, n- normally, I wouldn't be excited for a movie starring John Cena, but, I mean, it actually looks pretty good. Have you seen The Marine? No. I remember liking that movie when it came out. Really? It's probably terrible but <laughs> that was that was like right when like john cena first became like a superstar so that was probably like that movie's from probably 2006 2007 yeah. isn't that one of the like wwe production movies? Yeah, yeah yeah i remember liking it at the time but i don't think i've really seen any of those um like, i there's see one no with, evil what is it didn't they do see no evil yeah that's the one with kane yeah that's the one i was thinking of i've seen that um did they do the Condemned with Steve Austin, or is that? It? I don't know if that's. A, I don't know if that's a WWE production, but yeah. that movie was cool. Again, the movie I saw like ten years ago, and I'm a yeah. Stone Cold super fan, so maybe I'm not one to judge. But yeah, they've actually put out a lot of movies, and I remember. I think there's a horror movie that they did. I think Oculus was like a WWE production. Like, there's no. Yeah, that sounds right. There's no. Uh, wrestlers in that movie but i think their production company put it out yeah it's interesting maybe we'll do a wwe productions special episode at some point and just run through the whole every movie they've done all six marine movies because i think they i think they did it with like randy orton too or or some other uh 
wrestling superstar like the subsequent marine movies yeah i think there's been at least two or three now right oh yeah we gotta do a marine marathon (laughs) uh okay so probably my most anticipated movie of the year is blade runner 2049 original blade runner is one of my favorite movies um we got ryan gosling in this thing trailer looks amazing harrison ford's back uh i like the look of it I mean, it's just a teaser trailer, so there's not much in it. But Danny Villeneuve is oh, uh, yeah. directing and writing, um, which we, we both know how much I cream over Danny Villeneuve. So looking forward to that one. Um, I think that's an October release. Yeah, I have October 9th is the release October date. 9th. Nice. So that, that's going to be huge. Yeah, I'm really excited for that, um, mainly just because it's uh, Dennis Villeneuve and Ryan Gosling pairing up together in a big budget sci-fi movie um and yeah i mean he really hasn't made a bad movie yet so mm-hmm. it should be awesome well and then uh he's working with the same cinematographer he used in uh is, is roger deakins doing it or is it because I, I know johan johansson is doing the, the score. score i think i think deakins is coming back for oh, the cinematography. Yeah. so this thing's gonna be Lit. ridiculous <laughs> Uh, uh, all right, what's next on your list? Yeah, cinematography, Roger Deakins. Oh, yeah. All right, so next on my list is Free Fire, the new Ben Wheatley film. It's got uh, Brie Larson in it. It's got a pretty big cast, um, but the trailer looks like a lot of fun. And, um, yeah, I think it actually came out last year in some festivals, but it's just hitting, like, the uh, main theaters in March of this year. Did you watch... Um... Did you watch High Rise from last year? No. Remember, that was one of the ones I started. I watched like 10 right, minutes of it. Right, right. Not uh, that I don't want to watch it. It's just... It's it's kind of a mess. Yeah. Because that's Ben Wheatley, too. And I've heard mixed things about it. Yeah. It's not a terrible movie by any means. Every one of his movies has like buzz around it now, but I think the only, ones I, the only one I've actually seen is Kill List. I think that's the only one I've seen, too. He's done Down Terrace, Kill List, Sightseers... He did a segment in the ABCs of Death. He did a field in England and then High Rise. Okay. Well, I've seen ABCs of Death. Which segment does it show which segment he did uh, in that? You for Unearthed. Is that from the first one? Yeah. Okay. I don't remember that segment. Interesting. I haven't seen it. It's, yeah. It's, there's some good stuff in there. I, I would like to catch up on some of his stuff. I did like Kill Us. It was, it was very unexpected. Yeah. I mean, it was rap. <laughs> Okay, uh, next one on my list is, let's do, this movie actually comes out in like two weeks, I think. It's uh, A Cure for Wellness. This is uh, Gore Verbinski's latest film. I don't really know what it's about, but the trailer is really mysterious, visually striking, um, looks really cool. It seems like it's maybe like a science fiction, like a dystopian future uh, there's a lot of weird imagery of like these like white cloaked figures and it's like castle area and there's people in like sensory deprivation tanks and like weird snake eel things. Um, it looks pretty cool. I don't really know much about it, but we'll probably review it on this show. I hope so. I'm, I'm definitely going to see it. So it'll yeah. come up. I don't know if it'll be the featured review or not, but that one looks pretty dope. Uh, next on my list is alien covenant. I'm a huge fan of the Alien franchise. I love Prometheus. And yeah, the trailer looks pretty cool. Uh, it looks like it's 
getting back to the alien roots and being a little bit more of a horror flick than just a straight up action sci-fi movie. I mean, it looks like a combination of both, but yeah, just ex- excited to see what they're going to do next with the franchise. Yeah, I'm looking forward to that. The trailer looks cool. And Lily Scott's back. I'm not a huge Prometheus fan like you are, but... That movie kills. <laughs> it's, yeah, we have a lot of issues with it, but it's a solid flick. You can't answer life's biggest question, all right, Matt? <laughs> Whatever. Where did we come from? <laughs> uh, all right, next one on my list is Coco. Uh, that's the new Pixar movie. Um, I don't really know a ton about it, and honestly, I don't really want to read anything. I'll see anything that Pixar puts out. Inside Out was one of my favorite movies that year. It's one of my favorite movies the past 10 years. I love that movie. So the less I know about Coco going in, I'm fine with that, but... Um, original property so it's not a sequel so I'm excited to see what they do with that because they have a pretty good track record outside of Brave I thought Brave was just okay but I'm excited for this one did, that's all I have to say did about you that. see when that came, comes out? no Looks I know like, it comes out this year uh, November 22nd is the slated release date nice Yeah. yeah aren't they doing Cars 3 this year too? Uh, sure I think that year. might be coming out this summer. That teaser trailer, pretty sweet. That teaser trailer is awesome. I hope that movie's just like super dark. Yeah. Like complete shift in tone from the first two movies. Because the first two Cars movies, Cars 2 is definitely the worst Pixar movie. I enjoy Cars, two, Cars yeah. 1, but it's definitely one of the weaker weaker Pixar films. I agree. I, I hope there's just like a really stark shift in tone for this one. Uh, it's just... Maybe Lady McQueen will become an alcoholic, and it's about his like rehabilitation after the crash, and that. Uh, Larry the Cable Guy does reprise his role as Mater. Maybe maybe the movie opens with Mater committing suicide or something. <laughs> <laughs> it's gonna be sweet. All right, uh, next on my list is War for the Planet of the Apes. That comes out July fourteenth. Uh, I've been a big fan of the last two Planet of the Apes films. Uh, I never really watched the original movies. I've seen the first one a couple times, but I haven't seen the sequels that uh, spun off of that. I think there was like five in total. There's about five, yeah. I don't know if I've... I've definitely seen some of the sequels. You're my, my a dad fan of the last them. two though, right? No, I haven't seen... Oh, what? Dawn of the Planet of the Apes. The second one? Yeah, I've seen oh, Rise man, of the Planet You gotta watch that. I yeah. have it. Do you? you? Yeah, if you want to borrow right. it. Maybe I'll borrow that when I leave. The guy who did... Uh, Matt Reeves, who did Cloverfield? Cloverfield. Yeah, he directed Dawn of the Planet of the Apes. Who did the first one? I thought it wasn't not the same guy. They got a different director for the second one? Yeah, let me check and see. I wasn't aware of that. I love the titles of these movies. Rise of the Planet of the Apes, Dawn of the Planet of the Apes. You would think Dawn of the Planet of the Apes would have been the first, right. just based on the title. But... So Rupert Wyatt directed the first one. Okay, yeah. And he's done... Oh, that's about it. He did The Escapist and then The Gambler. So that was that Mark Wahlberg movie, right? Yeah. Did you see that? No. Yeah, I didn't see it either. Isn't John Goodman in that? Just fact-checking left and right here. <laughs> yes, he is confirmed. Oh, yeah. Hey, Brie Larson's in it too. Nice. That was... She's popping what what year did that movie come out? Was that 2015? 14. I heard some okay things about that. Yeah, I would probably watch it at some point, but it's not anywhere near the top of my list of things oh, to yeah, watch. No, no way. 
Okay, next on my list is The Dark Tower. Um, that series of books is one of my one of my favorites. Uh, it's a Stephen King series. Idris Elba is going to be Rollin the Gunslinger. So that's going to be an interesting take on the character. I'm excited to see what they do with that. Matthew McConaughey is playing the villain. He's play, I think his name's a Man in Black. Um, I haven't really read in too in much black. about What was that? He, re- he really is called the Man in Black? Yeah. That's the name less of the character. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, so that <clears throat> that should be cool. I don't really know who's involved with it, but I'm excited to see what they do with that. I got it's been the in production right here for, you. for a while, and I think HBO was thinking about adapting it into a TV series at some point. But that kind of transition that toward. Sweet. Well, I think this has been in and out of production for a while. Very now. Long like I think time. Javier Bardem was actually initially slated. He was. To that, be was the main that was that was a couple of years ago. That would have been awesome. Yeah, but Idris Elba will do a, a good job with that. I like him. Yeah. But yeah, that's all I have to say about that one. All right. So next is Dunkirk, the new Christopher Nolan film coming out this summer. Looks like it's supposed to come out on July 21st. Uh, I'm excited to see what he does with a big war movie like this. Uh, his movies are always an event. Um, yeah, it's starring uh, Tom Hardy, Killian Murphy. It's got a huge list of cast names. Kenneth Branagh, I think, isn't it? Um. (laughs) (laughs) Making you do some work this episode. I'm pretty sure I saw him in the trailer. Here we go. Yep, Kenneth Branagh, um, Mark Rylance. Oh, yeah. A couple other people. But yeah, I mean, not much to say about it. Uh, I'll pretty much watch anything Christopher Nolan does, so. Yeah, same. Yeah, well, that was actually next on my list, so I'll, I'll skip that one. Um, last one that I want to mention, I'm, I'm sure there's lots of other stuff that's coming out I'm excited for, but uh, The Strangers 2, I'm pretty sure, is scheduled to come out at the end of the year. I saw that they're set to start production this summer, like in, in May, so hopefully that we'll have enough time to get that out by the end of the year. Are so you a big fan of the first one? Yeah, I like The Strangers. I liked it a lot, too. I've actually only seen it once. Oh, really? I saw it in theaters when it first came out, but that movie scared the shit out of me. Yeah. The director just had a movie come out, I think, last year called The Monster. Have you heard of that? Uh-uh. I think it's currently on Amazon Prime right now. Um, Is it supposed to be any good? I've heard good things about it, like from people who are fans of the genre, but I don't know if it's like, you know, critically praised or anything. <laughs> Interesting. Okay. Maybe I'll check it out. Yeah. The Strangers is dope. So I, I hope, I hope that comes out this year, but I mean, it was just announced that they're going to try and start production in the summer. So oh, okay. if that gets pushed back, there's no way it's going to come out this year, but. Do you know who's directing it or anything? Well, same guy. I don't know his oh, name, really? but yeah, he's, oh, cool. he's coming back for the sequel. Nice. So, yeah, that's all I have. You have you still have a couple more, right? Yep. Um, well, we can both talk about Star Wars a little bit. Yeah. The Last Jedi, slated for December 15th. Not much to say about it. It's <laughs> the I'm next excited. Star Wars movie. Yeah. It's going to be huge. <laughs> um, yeah, I'm excited to see what they do with it. I really want to see where they go with those characters. Um, I'm assuming The Last Jedi refers to Luke Skywalker, but... Yeah. Jedi is plural and singular, so maybe, yeah. yeah. <laughs> I think in the scroll of Force Awakens, it says that Luke Skywalker is the last Jedi. Does it? Yeah. Oh, okay. Well, just because it says that doesn't mean that he is. Maybe uh, maybe Mace Windu will come back. 
that would be amazing. <laughs> <laughs> It'll be like, uh, yeah, the Obi-Wan of the new series. <laughs> but yeah, I think The Force Awakens set this trilogy up perfectly. So I'm excited to see where it goes. Yeah, I'm looking forward to that one for sure. Uh, a couple others to round out the list. I got uh, an untitled Detroit project directed by Catherine Bigelow. That comes out on August 4th. It's a about a police raid in Detroit in 1967. Uh, it's considered one of the largest uprisings in United States history. That sounds pretty cool. Uh, I'm a big fan of The Hurt Locker. Zero Dark Thirties, pretty good. Um, John Boyega and Anthony Mackie star in it, along with a few others. I haven't really seen a trailer or anything about it, but... It's still untitled and it comes out in August? Yeah. Huh, I wonder if that's just like a tentative... That's the official title. Wait, really? No, I don't know. <laughs> I was like, no, Weird. Yeah, that does sound cool based on the description. I'm not a huge Catherine Bigelow fan, but like the Hurt Locker was. Have you seen any of your of her older movies? I've seen Point Break. Oh yeah, Point Break's awesome. Yeah. Um, I think that's it though. She she's done. I think she did Near Dark too, right? I'm not sure. I've never seen that movie. I saw it a while back, and that's pretty good. I know it's like a cult, like vampire movie. Oh, okay. Yeah, I know uh, people like her stuff a lot, so I'll definitely watch it. I wasn't a big fan of Zero Dark Thirty. Yeah, people love boring. that movie, but I agree. Yeah, it's not <laughs> as exciting as The Hurt Locker. And then uh, a couple more here. I have uh, Logan Lucky, the new movie by Steven Soderbergh. Uh, it comes out October 13th. The plot is two brothers plan a heist that takes place during a NASCAR event. Sounds pretty awesome. All right. uh, I think the two brothers in it are going to be Channing Tatum and Daniel Craig. I only say that because they're the top two build cast members. Pretty big age gap. <laughs> That's like a 20-year age gap. Maybe not. Maybe Daniel Craig's like a cop or age something? Age doesn't matter in movies, all right? Oh, all right. <laughs> but uh, yeah that sounds cool i hadn't even oh wait no okay i looked up the cast list so channing tatum and adam driver are brothers oh channing yeah tatum they very similar will be jimmy logan right and then adam driver's clyde logan they're brothers really adam driver i channing guess tatum. i know what <laughs> one was blessed one was not <laughs> Adam Driver's the brains. <laughs> yeah. Shane Tatum's the bronze. <laughs> Interesting. Okay. Well, I mean, I love all those names. So yeah. And then I have just a list where I don't need to really say anything about them, but I'm also excited for them. Uh, Ghost in the Shell. That looks kind of cool. Uh, remake of the anime movie with Scarlett Johansson. Uh, Baby Driver, new Edgar Wright movie. Okay. Yeah. I read about that this week. Uh, Lego Batman movie. First one was a lot of fun. Yeah, so I love Lego movie. Excited to see what they do with the Batman one. World War Z 2. Eh. I was a big fan of the first eh. one. Is Brad Pitt back? Uh, yes, he is. Movie's going to suck. No. I love the first one. Movie sucks. No. <laughs> <laughs> All right, so that rounds out our uh, most anticipated of 2017. I think, uh, think it's going to be a good year. Some strong stuff coming. I, I'm sure there's plenty of stuff that we're, that we're missing that have been announced, and then other stuff that's just going to creep up over the course of the year. Yeah. But it's looking looking good so far. I think we've touched on pretty much everything 
Tom would have wanted to talk about as well, though. Yeah, I don't really, I don't remember what he mentioned, um, but I think we covered all of it. Oh, I do want to mention um, the movie that uh, Macon Blair is directing, the I Don't Feel at Home in This World Anymore. Comes out this month, right, on Netflix? Yep, it looks like February 24th. Nice. That looks pretty cool, and I know it's gotten a lot of buzz out of... um, the Sundance, so. right? Didn't it premiere yeah. at Sundance? Mm-hmm. Okay. Yeah, I'm excited for that one. Oh, and um, he's also in uh, Logan Lucky, making Blair. Is he? So he's, oh, he's okay. making a career out of himself. Nice. I do like that guy. Yeah. Um, another movie that's coming out of Sundance that I'm looking forward to is a. Uh, I can't remember the name of it, but it's a Jordan Peele's like horror oh, movie. Get Out. Yeah. Yeah. That looks, that looks cool. Interesting. Yeah. And it's got a warm reception at the festival, so. Um, yeah, definitely excited to see that one. Okay, well, anything else before we move on to our uh, split review? No, I think I'm good. Okay, well, we have a clip. Uh, let's take a listen. You're in that room? We're here! Help us! We're in here! Please, what is this? How many are there? No, 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 no. Don't go in there. Don't go in there. Don't worry. I'll talk to him. He listens to me. Okay, so Split is the latest film from M. Night Shyamalan. Uh, IMD plot synopsis is three girls are kidnapped by a man with a diagnosed 23 distinct personalities and must try and escape before the apparent emergence of a frightful new 24th. What did you think of Split, Travis? Uh, well, I actually kind of changed my tune between recording episode two and re-recording episode <laughs> two. Not because I re-watched it, but because I, well... <laughs> yeah, let's, before, before we get into it, so rather, normally what we would do in the situation, and this is what we did on the first take, is we would just have general impressions and then a spoiler title, and then we dive into spoilers for the film. But I feel like discussion in this movie is so... Like, you can't really talk much about this movie unless you're talking spoilers. So, disclaimer, this is going to be a spoiler review of Split. We're not going to do general impressions because there's really not too much to say without getting into the plot details. So, if you have not seen Split yet... Get fucked. (laughs) You should probably come back to this episode after you've seen it. So if you want to listen to the other stuff, check the the time date stamps in the show notes. You can fast forward through the review. But this is going to be very spoiler heavy. So now that we got that out of the way, you want to finish your thought? Yes. So last night I watched Unbreakable. Yeah. And I guess we're going to start at the end of Split. (laughs) Yeah, sure. We might as well. So the, the very end of Split, it basically reveals that the monster is in the same universe as the unbreakable characters, uh, David Dunn and Mr. Glass. Uh, the last like shot of the film is, uh, Bruce Willis's character just sitting like at a bar. Um, and he's in like a diner or something. Yeah. yeah. Something like that. Yeah. Like, and then, um, a lady says that the, the monsters event felt similar to an event 15 years ago and then Bruce Willis's character says Mr. Glass and 
that's supposed to link Unbreakable to this movie where Split is going to be set in the same universe and now they're potentially setting up like a trilogy or sequel to both movies. Basically, it frames all of Split as like a supervillain origin story. So you find out at the very end that this is like a superhuman person who lives, exists within the same universe as Unbreakable, which is definitely a cool idea, but I feel like the way it's executed is really clumsy. So yeah. for one, it's just like the movie ends, you get the title, and then it goes right into like a stinger, like in the credit sequence. And this is where you find out. It's like maybe 30 seconds. And the music from Unbreakable is playing. So that's what set people off. I actually hadn't seen Unbreakable before I saw Split. I thought I had. So the music wasn't a cue for me. So basically they're in the diner. There's something on TV. I think they're. I think what happens is they're they're covering that event. So there's they show someone in a wheelchair, and someone goes, "Oh, that's a serial killer from 15 years ago." What's what was his name again? And then the camera shows Bruce Willis sitting at the diner, and he says, "Mr. Glass," and then it goes into the mm-hmm. credits. Ah, it does feel a little tacked on. I mean, if, absolutely. If, if we wanted just review split on its own without the whole unbreakable tacked on ending i think it's okay at best i feel like it's okay at best even with the stinger like i know it like recontextualizes everything that you've just seen yeah but at the same time it doesn't fix the issues that the movie has right and a lot of it like you can say there are things about split that you can forgive because they may flesh it out in like unbreakable three or whatever it ends up being but it still doesn't change the fact that like this movie is marketed as a standalone thriller and as a standalone thriller i feel like there's a lot of issues with it and for me personally like Based on the trailers and based on it being M. Night Shyamalan, after what he did with The Visit, I was expecting, you know, it, it looked like it was going to be a good time. I thought maybe it seemed like it wasn't going to take itself too seriously. It was going to be a lot of fun. I didn't think it was that entertaining. Like it kept me, I was intrigued through the whole movie and I was interested to see what was going to happen, but I wasn't on the edge of my seat. Like I felt like the suspense yeah. wasn't really working for me. I didn't think it was scary. I was, there was never any point where I was actually like feeling tense and like my adrenaline was going up. So on the level of like a thriller horror movie, I feel like it just doesn't work as well as it could have. And that's just, yeah. it's executed well. Like the direction is really strong. I really like that he does a lot of very close in shots of faces, especially uh, Anya Taylor-Joy's character. Like she has a very emotive face. Like her performance is, is really good. I thought she was great in it. Um, so strong direction, but I just feel like, I don't know. I I knew what the movie was doing, where it was going to go, not in the specifics, but I don't know. There really weren't too many surprises for me, except the stinger at the end, which there's no way you could have predicted. And it just felt tacked on the way that was handled. Right. Um, so yeah, I mean, my history with unbreakable is I didn't see it when it first came out and I only watched it probably like a few years ago and I thought it was okay. Uh, I thought it was a little slow at times and rewatching it. I actually loved it on a rewatch last night. You uh, loved it. Loved it. Yes. But the ending of the movie makes the rest of the movie better. And like that, just the last scene between Mr. Glass and David is 
awesome. Just how they like reveal everything and ties the whole movie together. Um, I definitely think Unbreakable makes Split a better movie. Not like exponentially better, but like I'm just excited to see what happens next now. And like if he's going to reveal it as like the this trilogy to these two movies or if he's going to try and do another split where you know you're not sure if it's connected or not until the end or halfway through or whatever but we'll see i mean i I know he wants to make another movie of it but he said that he's like just beginning to like write the script for it yeah i think he he came out and confirmed that it's going to be the next project that he wants to do so we'll see i don't know i feel like I have, so I, I thought I had seen Unbreakable around when it came out. So once I saw Split, I think the next day I watched Unbreakable because it's on HBO or something. Yeah. And then immediately I was like, oh, wait, I have not actually seen this movie before. And it was it was good. It was definitely strong, but I did think it was a little boring at times. Do you want to save? Like, we can talk more discuss- about it later. Dis- but... Discussion about Unbreakable after. Yeah, we can, we can dive in later. I feel like we're already getting away from... From Split. Well, okay. So, there were some positive things that I liked about Split. So, I liked the fact that he has the 23 personalities and not all of them mean harm to the girls. Mm -hmm. So, the dynamic where the girls are trying to use those personalities to their advantage and try to get them to help them escape, I thought was a cool dynamic because you never know which personality is going to emerge. So, the fact that they... That, that unpredictability I thought was cool. Yeah. Um, so I found that w- was interesting. And I was worried with it being a take on dissociative identity disorder, which is a very real mental illness. I was worried. They take it to some fucked up extremes, extremes that aren't really grounded too heavily in reality other than it being an actual disorder. So... I was worried that the way the movie treats mental illness was going to be problematic, but I actually, I feel like there's a sympathetic core to the way that it's treated that prevents it from feeling too exploitative and it doesn't take itself too seriously. So I didn't have a ton of issues with this representation of that disorder. Yeah. But what I did have an issue with is the way that Anna Taylor Joy's character was treated. So I think her character's name is Casey. So basically one of the story threads through the film is that you get flashbacks to her childhood. Uh, She would go on camping trips with her dad and her uncle. And you, it shows you that she knows how to use a gun. Um, You find out that he, that the uncle was abusive, like sexually abusive toward her and her something happens to her father he he dies i don't remember how exactly yeah i don't don't remember either but yeah he didn't die in that you don't think he died in that same train accident is because that's what you so another thing that you find out in split is that james mcavoy's character his dad died in that same train accident that bruce willis survived so that was kind of the catalyst for creating uh, the beast, or I think the horde is like what they're calling him yeah. by the end of, the, of, of Split. So it's interesting that Mr. Glass essentially created a superhero and a supervillain in the same event. 
But anyway, to get back to what I was talking about. So Casey's dad dies. Her legal guardian is her uncle. So you find out that she's been sexually abused. And basically the movie just uses her trauma as a plot point. Essentially how it goes down is she's trying to escape the beast toward the end of the film. And she's running from him and she finds a shotgun. So you, one thing that it does is that it shows that she knows how to use a gun, which is just, there's two things that you know about this character. You know that she was abused by her uncle and you know, she knows how to use a gun. So. Yeah. That's what you learn in the flashback. Yeah. M night Shyamalan has this thing where like, whatever you know about the character ends up being something that, is used in the plot later on. So he does that again, basically the only two things you know about Casey. So my issue is that the movie does a good job of diving into James McAvoy's character's psyche and his issues. But with Casey, basically what happens is the beast is about to kill her and sees that she has like self harm scars on her body. And Basically, his philosophy is that if you've been through trauma, you're stronger than the rest of the population. That's why he was going to kill the other two girls, because he thought that they were uh, innocent and they they didn't understand. Well, he said people – he says you're pure if you've been through trauma. That was the way he uses it. So basically, he's about to kill her, sees that she has cut herself, and he's like, oh, you're, you're pure. You're like me, whatever. And then he basically lets her go. So all of that background story that you get basically just serves as a plot function. And that's kind of fucked up because the other thing that doesn't make any sense is if she didn't have those scars on her body, he would have had no way of knowing that she had been through that traumatic experience. So it doesn't change the fact that she's by his definition pure. He never asked her, you know, like I I get that that she wasn't supposed to. (laughs) I mean, I get that she wasn't supposed to be in the car. So, I mean, you find out that he'd been following the other two girls for a while. So when he, he abducts them in the parking lot, he was only expecting two girls. So I get that she wasn't supposed to be there. And the room that they're kept in, there's only two beds. But still, like, if you're going to be this, like, ideological, like, supervillain who wants to wipe out people who haven't been through something traumatic, like, at least ask if like what her background is like he went through the, he went through finding these two girls and coming to the conclusion that they deserve to die, but he didn't give that same luxury to her. Right. So if those scars weren't there, he still would have killed her. Like it just, I don't know. You can poke holes in it. Yeah. Um, I did like the idea of the personalities alluding to the beast though, and building up the entity like villain of the beast or the horde or whatever you want to call him. Um, just like the certain characters saying like, you know, he's coming to get you pretty much. And, um, I thought McAvoy's performance was probably the best part in the movie. He's very convincing and creepy. And I like seeing him play out some of the personalities like Hedwig, who's like the nine or 10 year old or Miss Patricia. Um, and it does, I touched on this when we first recorded this episode, but uh, <laughs> it feels similar to other movies that have come out recently, like 10 Cloverfield Lane and Don't Breathe, and I feel like those ones are stronger movies. Um, they're they're set in... Yeah, they're all set in one location, and it's ba- they're basically trapped and you know, trying to get out, um, and something's preventing them from doing so. And this one definitely feels the weakest of all of them. Um, but then it's 
I think it's kind of saved at the end still by the whole unbreakable thing. It just, I, I just, I don't agree. I don't think it makes it a better movie. Like it makes me excited to see what comes next, yeah. but that doesn't fix the issues that are there already in the movie. You right. know, like I would agree that McAvoy's performance is, is very strong. Um, you can tell he's having a lot of fun with it. Um, I really liked the interplay between the characters. So there's, like you said, Hedwig, I had some issues with later on in the movie. That was more of the writing. Like, I feel like it's inconsistent as far as how he speaks and how he's portrayed. Yeah. I have an issue with his performance, but some of the writing was a little spotty, um, which is par for the course for, for M. Night Shyamalan. Um, and then Dennis and Miss Patricia are kind of the two personalities who are trying to unlock the potential of the beast. Like they're kind of his, his minions. And I, I did I thought it was interesting that the way that the it was framed where that personalities take the spotlight. So they're they're sitting in chairs or whatever in his mind, that's how it described, and someone takes the spotlight and then they're the personality who comes through. So that was an interesting dynamic. Um but I don't really understand why there needed to be twenty-three personalities when you only see what, maybe a total of eight. So you said like there's there's a five that you spend most of the movie with. So it's Barry, who's kind of the one who's been in control the longest, and he's this like fashion forward, like very outgoing personality. Um, he's the one who has the spotlight most of the time. So when he goes to visit the psychiatrist in the film, it's usually Barry who's speaking to her. There's Dennis and Miss Patricia, um, Hedwig. That's basically it for the bulk of the movie. I mean, you see in the... Yeah, you'll see flashes of other personalities. There's like video diaries that... But you really only see like two or three from those video diaries. So there's Jade, who makes an appearance also in the scene toward the end. There is... Um, I can't remember the character's name, but the one who's really into history, like the hyper-intellectual like history buff personality... He comes out in the end and you see him in the video journal, but the other ones, they're just alluded to. Like you see some names on that video journal, so I don't know. Maybe he just picked 23 because it's like a, a big number, and the fact that there's personalities you don't even see, I guess, is interesting, but um, he does a good job with the performance. Um, I feel like it's a little predictable. Like about halfway through the movie, you don't know – what the beast is going to be. I mean, you could, you assume that it's probably one of his personalities, but you start thinking like maybe it's an actual beast who exists in the world because they say the beast isn't in the room where all the other characters are in the chairs. He's at like the, the train station, which is what you find out as a reference to unbreakable. Yeah. Um, so I thought, I mean, you think maybe he's going to be like an actual beast that they're trying to, so maybe there is an actual monster, but no, you find out that he just can change his chemical makeup so that he has like super strength. Um, and I don't know when, when, when I, when I realized that it was just going to be another personality, I was like, Oh, well there's a reference to like feeding on the young. So I was like, Oh, well, he's going to be a cannibal. We already know from the trailer. He has like super strength. You see him climbing on walls and stuff. And that's exactly what happens. So this whole movie, you're kind of expecting some sort of twist. And really, the twist is not even a twist. It's just kind of a stinger at the end that recontextualizes everything you've seen before it, which is kind of neat. Like, I can't think of another movie that's been like presented as one, and then it turns out you've been watching something else the whole time. Right. It's definitely that's a, cool concept, a gimmick for sure. that 
I mean, he's he's known for that kind of shit, though. He's yeah. been doing it his whole career. <laughs> I I just wish he had. It was it didn't feel so clumsy, you know. Yeah. Um, I mean, I I'm not going to reveal my star rating just yet, but um, between the time we first recorded it and now, it's only went up like half a star. So it's not like Washington Breakles like totally changed my tune, but sure, sure, it has just made me appreciate it a little bit more. That's fair, and we're we're coming off largely negative, but it, it was an entertaining movie. It's overlong, I would say. It's pushing two hours. I feel like there could have been 15, 20 minutes cut out of it, especially some of the stuff with the psychiatrist. Yeah. It was interesting, but it didn't have to be there. Well, I, I know like it's it a movie, but like, why did she try and go to his house by herself? Yeah, I don't know. And then another <laughs> thing. fucking dumb. <laughs> well, because another thing that doesn't make sense to me is that there are references that Dennis, one of the personalities, likes to see young girls dance naked like in in their underwear or whatever yeah. and it's implied that he has actually done that before so he's he's gotta be on like a sex offender registry right but he oh, works at a zoo <laughs> how he would be allowed to work at a zoo like that's here's kids everywhere but doesn't he work like down in that like cellar he's like a, he's like a custodian like, a like what would he be guy? doing yeah he's a maintenance guy so what's he doing maintenance on shit up in the zoo you know like he lives down there oh yeah but there's no way he'd be able to work After there hours. it's like he might as well be like a fucking <laughs> like uh work at a park or something you know if they're not gonna let a yeah. sex offender work at a park right i and don't know but back to you saying the movie was predictable you can definitely tell from the start of the movie that Anna taylor joy's character is gonna be important and even though that he is going after those two girls, you can kind of tell that they're not going to be the focus of the movie because their their characters weren't really fleshed out. Not at and, all. I mean, I know they eventually get killed, but like they just get like forgotten. Like they basically get thrown into a room and they just go away, basically. Yeah. And then it's it's more focused on um, James McAvoy's character and then Anna Taylor Joy's character. But. At the same time, I feel like that's part of the problem with the movie because it feels like there's going to be some revelation with her story and this is really her story. It turns out it's not. Right. It's in service of his story. Exactly. <laughs> and there's, I don't know, like I feel like the resolution of her story doesn't work for me. And at the same time, this is definitely setting up a sequel. So yeah. I guess we might find out more. But that I think we'll see possibly more of the personalities in future and stuff. i that definitely the fact that we only see some of them makes me think yeah. that we're gonna see more of them later um and i don't know if i would like this or not but i definitely am getting the feeling that casey might be like a sidekick to the horde you know because he saved her and she can empathize with him and she has nowhere to go right now. because it's implied that she's not going to go back to her uncle because there's that scene in the car at yeah. the end where he's like oh your guardian's here and she just kind of like has this like help me look on her face and she doesn't really say anything i want to get out of the car so yeah, man, I, mean, I don't know you better get moving because didn't unbreakable come out in 2000 yeah and i it like i do like the idea but and even though he said that uh he's had this idea all along and the james mcavoy's character was in the script of unbreakable but then he took it out at the end or something like that but um it definitely does feel like he's because he's kind of hit like a dry spell where he's his name isn't you know obviously as reputable as it used to be and now it's just like oh, hey, I could turn one of my hit movies and do like a trilogy or franchise. And so that part I'm a little annoyed by, but at the same time, I think it's kind of cool. And like, it's not like we're going to 
escape superhero franchises anytime soon. So it's kind of cool seeing something different than just like the big blockbuster, you know, $250 million (laughs) action superhero movies. Yeah, definitely. But I feel like the issue with this being a tie-in to Unbreakable is – so I hadn't seen Unbreakable before I saw this, but I I knew about it. So I knew that it was tying it into Unbreakable. But – a lot of the people in the theater that I saw with very were very confused by what they just saw. Like right. I was sitting right next to a bunch of teenage girls and they had no idea what that ending was about. And I feel like if the point of the movie is that the big reveal is that it's an origin story for a movie that came out in 2000, if you don't have that context, yeah. the movie just doesn't work or make any sense. It's just confusing because Bruce Willis is just there out of nowhere. And it's like, what the fuck? What's Bruce Willis doing here for two seconds? He has one line right. and the movie ends. You know, it's just more confusing. Yeah. So you have to have that context for the movie to make sense. And I don't necessarily think that's fair. I mean, it still works standalone, but. It, it works. I don't think it's a great movie. Yeah. It, I mean, it's still okay. It's if, fine. It, yeah. It's worth watching. Um <laughs> But yeah, I mean, those girls that you were sitting next to, they probably weren't even born or they might be. No, they were maybe like 15 (laughs) or 16. So I'm sure they weren't even born. Yeah. So that's, yeah. But it it was an entertaining movie. I don't know. I would definitely say go see it if you haven't. But if you're listening to this, we just spoiled it for you. So maybe don't. We just spoiled the fuck out of it. So I I hope you've seen both of them. (laughs) Anything more you want to say about Split before we give star ratings? Um. No, I think we pretty much covered everything. So I guess since this is our first official star rating, we should talk a little bit about how we're going to be rating movies yeah, on this podcast. We should also note that Tom will probably weigh in a little bit on his thoughts of Split in episode three. Yeah, yeah, we'll talk lost. to him about it. But yeah. we can—I know his star rating, so I can, I can, yeah. I can give that. But basically, we're going on a scale from zero to five. Uh, that's what Letterbox does. So I mean, you guys know how scales work so five is obviously like i wouldn't say necessarily a masterpiece or like a perfect movie but it's something that really resonated with you you have very few issues with if any issues with it a three i feel like is just kind of down the middle nothing remarkable entertaining you had issues with it just kind of middle of the road once you dip below a three you're kind of getting into eh to bad territory um and you want to add as far as how like our critiquing the well i mean i have personal thoughts on how i rate movies I'm sure yeah, everyone does it that. slightly differently <clears throat> like uh obviously like five star movies are going to be my favorite types of movies have very few flaws um but the rules of the way i rate don't always jive from you know rating to rating um if something surprises me i may you know rate that higher than normal just because it it generally surprised me or something that was made long ago like just given the uh what they were working with at the time like i'm not going to necessarily discredit the movie for that um so i may you know give a higher rating for an older movie just because i know you know within the confines of what they were working with that was a really good movie made at that time i don't feel like it's you know fair to judge it as if they had the same technology as today and, um, yeah, I mean, generally like a three is usually like a pass for me. Um, a four is, you know, a really good movie. And then five is very few flaws. You know, one of my favorites, I would recommend it to anyone. Mm-hmm. Yeah. 
and then anything below a three is when I start to not like a movie. I rarely give a movie like zero stars or half a star. I feel like I'll generally give it one to two stars unless it just really pissed me off or was really terrible. Then I might dip below. <laughs> I don't think I've ever done zero. But... <laughs> no, I don't think I've ever given a movie zero star. I think just for making a movie, you should get a half a star. <laughs> yeah, it's just a participation award. Yeah. <laughs> um, okay, so I am giving Split a three out of five. And I'm giving it a three as well. I was 2.5 on the first recording, but after watching Unbreakable, I decided to give it a pass. Coming up to a three, <laughs> yeah, all right, passable. Give it a pass. Well, so when we, the first time we recorded this, Tom came in at a 3.5. After our discussion, he brought his final score down to a three. So yeah, that's three threes I mean, from all three of us. Yeah, so. depending on the day, it's anywhere from a 2.5 to a 3.5. <laughs> well, maybe once you see the movie again. I, I don't know if I would like it more or less on a rewatch. Yeah, just same. Because I'm now curious. Because you can pick up, you can watch it knowing that it's an origin story. So maybe there are things that will are, are direct tie-ins to Unbreakable other than yeah. the train thing. Like I'm sure there's probably some little clues sprinkled in there that would maybe bring it up on a rewatch. But at the same time, it's this thing's not going over 3.5. Let's be real. <laughs> no, probably not. <laughs> Actually, after watching Unbreakable last night, I thought about going to see Split this morning, but then I stayed up playing Overwatch till like 3 in the morning. So yeah, that was out. I was, yeah. <laughs> All right. Well, that's our Split review. Um Excited to see what comes next, but it's just it's all right. It's going to be huge. Just all right. All right. Well, let's dive into some of what we've watched since the last time we recorded. Um, do we want to do Unbreakable now? Just on its own? Well, I mean, we're going to do something at the end. Okay. With, I mean, we, we can save that for the end because um, we're going to be talking about some other M. Night Shyamalan movies. So we can save our discussion for, for that. We're not going to dive too too deep into all of the stuff but we're gonna run through it let's just go through some other stuff that we've watched um i'll start i watched so let me preface this a little bit give you some background so the halloween franchise is my favorite horror movie franchise definitely wouldn't say it's the best but it's my favorite the original halloween is not only my favorite horror movie of all time it's one of my favorite movies like ever made so I have a huge soft spot for that movie. Halloween 2, it's great. Halloween 3, it's great. I, I'm a big fan of the series. So I bought that complete like Blu-ray box set that came out a couple of years ago. And there's 10 films in the series. And I've seen nine of them up until about a week and a half ago. I had never seen Rob Zombie's Halloween 2 because his first Halloween was a fucking abomination and I hated it. So I had heard the Halloween two was supposed to be even worse than the first one. So I had just been putting off seeing it cause I heard there was just nothing redeemable about it. So I was watching some video or listening to some podcasts where they were going through, they were ranking the Halloween series. And one of the guys on that show had Hall Rob Zombie's Halloween two at number two on his list of the 10. And I was like, what the fuck? Like, is there something here that is actually worthwhile. So it, it piqued my interest. So I was like, maybe I'll watch Rob Zombie's Halloween too. Terrible mistake. Worst movie in the entire franchise. Uh, 
it's it's a fucking atrocity. I have nothing nice to say about this movie. So basically, the movie starts off, and you think it's like a direct remake of the original Halloween too, because it starts in the uh, um, in the hospital, and he's attacking Lori in the hospital, and it turns out that's just a dream sequence. And the movie actually takes place a year after the events of the first one. So basically half the fucking movie is Michael Myers, who in this universe is this like six foot ten monster of a human. He looks like fucking Paul Bunyan. Like he's got really long, thick hair, a huge beard. And he doesn't even wear a mask for most of it. So he's just this giant dude who just walks like across the half the fucking country to walk back to Haydenville so he can kill Lori. So like the first half of the movie, it's just him walking through fields and he kills some stripper by like bashing her head into a wall, kills and eats a dog, makes a coat out of it. Like it's just gross. It's a great road movie. It's, oh yeah. An all time <laughs> classic road trip movie. It's just so violent, like aggressively. So like when he's like stabbing people, he's like, really stabbing people and he stabs people like 20 times it's just excessive doesn't it actually it doesn't actually make him scary like rob zombie is just kind of obsessed with like hillbilly trash like violence so it's very over the top yeah and like all of the characters are just terrible people like there's this there's these two dudes toward the beginning who are in like the hospital van that mike myler mike myers is in he's supposedly dead and they're having conversations about like there's this dead girl in the first movie and one of the dudes is talking about how, how good she looked and how he wish he could like get some time alone with her even though she's dead oh and like laughing. It's just <laughs> fucking gross. Just stuff like that. Like every, every character is completely irredeemable. The movie looks terrible. It's very trashy. Like it's his movies so are trashy. trashy and not in a good way. Right. It's, oh my God. And there's this stupid like subplot where like Sherry Moon zombie plays michael myers mom and like she's like a ghost in this movie so you see her and like there's these like ethereal dream sequences where it's like snowing and it just looks terrible i can't believe i watched this piece of shit i'm never gonna watch it again it's so bad <laughs> but it's in the collection that you have it is in the collection i'm surprised yeah. they put it together with it like you typically it's, you know like remakes and stuff will be separate from like the original franchise but i guess if it's all made by like the same distributor or whatever. Well, they had to get the they had to get the rights. So the reason why this is the first time that box set had come out was because the there were different distribution companies through like the middle of the series. Oh, so okay. they had to like get the rights. So it's like a collaboration between Scream Factory. I know John Carpenter doesn't care as long as you pay him. <laughs> right. And he, he agrees that Rob Zombie's take on Halloween is fucking trash. Terrible. Yeah. So yeah. Ugh. Yeah, I mean, compared to the first one, because I agree, the first one is like the, I mean, it's called Halloween, but it is the essential Halloween movie. Oh, like, absolutely. That is by far the best movie you could watch on Halloween or in the month of October. And like you said, even, you know, standalone, it's just a great film, you know, not just, just being a horror movie. Um, but that's all I have to say about that one. So you can go to I've seen years. both of his Halloweens, and I remember them both being pretty forgettable. So have you seen them both once? Yeah. I don't really have anything to say. They've pretty much <laughs> escaped my memory. I saw the first one in theaters, and I remember kind of liking it the first time I saw it, but I was also like 15 or 16 when that movie came out, and I actually yeah. was a Rob Zombie fan at the time. Oh, yeah. Now when I've gone back and watched his movies, like Devil's Rejects is 
is solid. I think that's a cool. Yeah, one. I think that's probably my favorite of his. I I've seen House of a Thousand Corpses, and that one was a little too weird for me it doesn't hold up like no. i loved that movie when i was a teenager but oh, i've yeah. seen it since it's yeah bad. i mean there's a lot of movies it's that bad. when you watch as like a kid or a teenager you think are good and then you go rewatch them and you're just like what was i thinking yeah, but i mean you don't really have like a like you don't know what's good from bad when you're younger like i don't if you asked me like you know 15 years ago if i thought a movie was good i'd I'd probably say yes to basically anything I watched. <laughs> like I couldn't tell a good from a bad movie. That's but, fair. Um, all right. So the first thing I watched uh, is Repo Man. It's the uh, 1984 classic directed by Alex Cox. I've actually never seen this before, but um, I uh, bought some Criterions last year with the uh, buy one, get one. Yeah, that's half the only off, time right? I buy Criterion. Is it, wait, it's just, or no, it's just half off in general, right? No, it's, 50% it's by, off. It, well, it depends on which on which sale. I think the Barnes & Noble one, no, no, it's 50% off. Yeah, because, I mean, typically they're like 30 or $40, but then on sale. 40 bucks is the standard. <laughs> yeah. yeah, I only buy them when they're on sale. Yeah, same here. But anyways, I, I bought a few of those, and this was one of them. And um, yeah, it's it's a lot of fun. It's like a cult, like midnight movie. Um I know people are big fans of it. Uh, it's basically about like this lonely kid who's who's into punk rock, and he gets caught up with like a in the Repo Man world, <laughs> and um, it's just him. It basically takes place like over like the course of one night, and it's just him taking on like random Repo jobs. And um, yeah, I could definitely see myself watching this over and over and liking it more with each watch. Uh, I love the ending of it. Uh, I could definitely see myself, you know, or I'm glad I w- bought this because, you know, I can see myself watching this again. And um, I actually watched the uh, commentary over the course of a few lunch breaks, and um, it was a little disappointing. It's just the, like, cast and crew reminiscing on making the movie, and they basically just laugh at every line in the movie because it, I mean, it's known to be like a quotable movie, but they just point out how quotable it actually is, and... I don't know. It's just it's just more of them just hanging out, watching the movie rather than actually giving any sort of like background or like you know filmmaking aspects of it or anything like that. They they they're basically just hanging out for like an hour and a half. <laughs> so that was a little disappointing. Um, but yeah, really good movie. I would definitely recommend it to anyone who hasn't seen it. And then um, Matt, you want to? Yeah. So the day after I watched Halloween two, I watched Bug. William Friedkin film. Um, I love this thing. It might be one of my new favorite movies. Like, it's uh, it takes how much of a favorite? Like, top ten? No, no we're, we're talking like top one hundred probably. <laughs> wow, it's I I really like this movie. So it, it kind of came out like two thousand six, I think. It's got Michael Shannon and Ashley Judd. Uh, it's this like paranoid. Uh, psychological thriller that most of it is set in like a motel room. So basically uh, Michael Shannon's character is like a little bit of a drifter and he's friends with one of Ashley Judd's friends and uh, they go over to Ashley's like motel room and there's this like romance plot. So basically it's like a conspiracy movie where they think there's, bugs that have infested the motel room and that just kind of goes down the rabbit hole and gets crazy it escalates really quickly it's really violent really jarring um 
Henry Connick Jr. Harry Connick Jr. is in it too. He's kind of like uh, Ashley's ex, like dirtbag boyfriend who just got out of jail. Um, the writing is really strong. It's uh, written by Tracy Letts, which is an adaptation of his original play, uh, Bug. And Michael Shannon actually played that part in the, the stage production of it. So William Freakin, the studio heads wanted to get like a bigger name to play the part. And William Freakin really went to bat for Michael Shannon. I was like, no one's going to be able to play the part better than this guy. And he's so good in the movie. Ashley Judd's amazing in it too. Um, movie goes some places. <laughs> if you haven't seen Bug, you've seen Bug, right? Yeah. Yeah. I remember liking it quite a bit. If you're listening and you haven't seen Bug, it's on Amazon. Um, if you're squeamish, might not be for you. It kind of does some pretty gnarly stuff, but really tense, really well written. It's staged really well, very frenetic, uh, unpredictable. I'm a huge it, fan. Mostly, it takes place like all in that hotel almost room. Almost the right? whole movie takes yeah. place in that one hotel room. Yeah, yeah, there's like a scene where they go to a bar. That's basically it, though. It's almost exclusively set in that room, which I, I like one location, like dramas. Like, yeah. We've already talked about some on that came out that last year, but. If it's done well, it works. It works really well. Yeah, yeah. I'm a huge fan of Michael Shannon uh, and William Friedkin. William Friedkin's probably one of my favorite directors. Yeah, your Sorcerer is like your favorite movie ever. <clears throat> Sorcerer is amazing. It's probably one of his most unseen movies. Um, but they recently released it on Blu-ray, and that is an essential movie to own. Isn't it out of print though? It well, I, so I got the Digibook. And that's out of print, but then they they've re-released it in just like a regular like oh like standard, standard Blu-ray yeah oh okay nice I actually let Tom borrow it when we recorded this the first time so I'm hoping he's watched that or will watch it by episode three and he can talk about it a little bit it's probably in pieces he probably destroyed it oh you're not God. getting that back yeah <laughs> <laughs> I was telling him to take extra special care of it yeah. <laughs> Well, I didn't know you very well at the you time. You don't know Tom like, very well. True. <laughs> I'm just, I'm going to trust him. Okay? I he's, can vouch for him. He's a co-host on the pod, so <laughs> I got to trust He'll him. He'll take good care of you. That's all I got to say about Bug. <clears throat> all right, so next on my list, another Criterion release, McCabe and Mrs. Miller. It's a 1971 movie directed by Robert Altman. Uh, the Blu-ray itself is very inconsistent. As far as like the transfer goes, yeah, like um, everything outside looks great and is beautiful. Um, they do use some digital snow, though. I think it might have been like one oh, of the digital first snow, movies really? to do that. I believe what so. What year did it come out? It was like in the mid seventies, right? Yeah, because it doesn't look real. I mean, it like it doesn't look bad, but like it doesn't look like real snow. Is it actually digital or maybe it's just like it, it might be yeah. kind of grainy maybe? Like, I'm not sure exactly what. It could what. just be bad fake snow. Too. Yeah, it's true. That's interesting. Uh, <laughs> but yeah, like the actual scenes on the inside, because there's, um, there's scenes that take place inside like cabins and, you know, buildings or whatever in this small town. And they just look so like murky and grainy. Like they just, it just all runs together. And just, I don't know. I was like, I was almost like, going to contact criteria and saying this is a piece of shit but no i mean the, the rest of the movie looks good it's just a couple of the scenes inside buildings look pretty bad but i'm i'm assuming that's the best they could do so you know they had to do what they had to do um but yeah the movie itself um i liked it quite a bit it's a pretty slow moving movie uh the f the first half of it you're just kind of taking time, like spending with the characters inside the town. 
Uh, they're just like playing poker and, you know, getting acquainted with each other. Uh, the climax is pretty awesome. There's a showdown between McCabe and some bounty hunters who are trying to take over the town. And um, there's like a church burning down in the town as well. Um, so that was pretty cool. And it does feel borrowed from in a couple instances. Like um, it feels like the Hateful Eight at times, like the opening scene. Um, and then there's also a scene that takes place in one of the cabins where I think Tarantino stole a line of dialogue from this movie. Uh, as one of the characters is closing the door, there's, you know, wind blowing and it's snowing out and it's super cold. And one of the guys in the back of the room is like, close that damn door. And I'm pretty sure that happens in the hateful eight. That's what, um, uh, <laughs> Kurt, Kurt Russell's character says yeah. in the hateful eight. Yeah. And I could definitely see Tarantino stealing something from this it seems type like it's some Tarantino yeah. movie. <laughs> yeah. Um, I own that movie. I have a criterion. I haven't watched it yet though. Oh, yeah. I bought it in the last round, like the last sale. I bought it and I haven't watched it yet. Yeah. I want to, cause all the music is, I mean, not all the music, but there's a lot of Leonard Cohen. I, I think all there. of it's all of it is. Yeah. I love Leonard Cohen. So I'm, I'll, I'll probably watch that one this week before yeah. we record. So I'll, I'll report back on that one. Cool. Yeah, and then also the ending feels a little reminiscent of The Revenant, but I'll spare details because it might spoil it. <laughs> cool. Anything else to say on that one? Uh, no. You want me to hit a couple more up? Just yeah, I only have I, have I only have two left. So I, I like to watch movies. So. <laughs> <laughs> um, so I watched The Crying Game, directed by Neil Jordan. Uh, I just finished Owen Gleiberman's new book, Movie Freak. He's a movie critic that's been around probably for the last like 30 40 years and um he talks about how this was one of the most like beloved movies at the time of its release uh the movie's mostly known for its twist and it was probably more shocking at the time uh i don't really have much to say about it i, I would recommend watching it at least once um it's got a good central love story and i like how it comes to full circle at the end and i haven't then, seen that one yeah, I mean, you could miss it. <laughs> I, I I do want to catch up with it at some point. I've heard good things, but I know I know what the the reveal is at the yeah. end. No, I don't think that would really ruin the rest of the movie. Yeah. But I think they talk about that on one of those old like VH1 like countdown shows, like most shocking endings or oh, something. Yeah. I think I remember that being on there, so it spoils <laughs> the ending. Um, but yeah, I do want to watch that at some point. And then I'll do another one real quick. So I saw a camera person, the new documentary directed by Kirsten Johnson yeah. that uh, came out last year, uh, received a lot of hype. It's already got like a criterion release in the works. Um, it's currently on Amazon instant. And, um, it's basically like a collage of her life's work as like a documentary filmmaker. Uh, I thought the exercise was well, the exercise and idea was better than the actual execution of it. Uh, some of the footage is pretty incredible. Uh, but it, I mean, like at the end of the movie, it, it gives credits of all the movies that she's taken scenes from to make this movie camera person. And it just, it, it just feels like a collage of her work and it didn't hit me on a level like it's hit others because, um, there's like certain things that she does or certain scenes where it's like her perspective of what she's seen and like that stuff didn't really, you know, connect with me. Sure. But yeah, I mean, it's definitely worth watching and it's only like 90 minutes or so. So I'm going to watch that soon. I've heard some really good things about it. So I want to see it for myself. 
Um, I'll talk about Gentleman Broncos. I watched this on a whim just because I was bored and I was looking through what was streaming. This is a Jared Hess film who did Napoleon uh, Dynamite, Nacho Libre, um, Don Verdeen. It stars uh, Jermaine Clement, who plays like a science fiction writer, and Sam Rockwell is in it. He plays Bronco, um, and Brutus is the other name for the character. Basically, the movie is about this kid. I can't remember the actor's name, but it's about this kid who's homeschooled, and he goes to some like writing conference for homeschool kids, and uh, there's like a competition where everyone submits a short story and it's read by like a panel of judges and the winning story is going to get their, their story published basically. So, uh, Jermaine Clement's character is one of the featured people on the panel. Uh, and he reads the kid's story and thinks it's amazing and plagiarizes it and basically takes it for his own and makes his own novel about it. But he changes the name of the character from Bronco to Brutus um, it's just a really over-the-top, dumb comedy. The stuff, so there's like a story within the story where they dramatize uh, the writing of the kid. So Bronco is played by Sam Rockwell. So the best parts of the movie are those sequences where they're like dramatizing his writing. So it's just like really wonky story about uh, this like conflict over yeast it's called like the Yeast Lords or something is the name of the book. And Sam Rockwell is this like space traveler. It's so dumb. They ride these like deer that like shoot lasers and fly. And it's it's very much a Jared Hess movie. It was okay. I thought it was entertaining, but. Would you say it's worth watching? Uh, if you like his other stuff. Okay. Yeah. I mean, if you're a fan of Napoleon, like that type of humor. Yeah. It's not as good as Nacho Libre and Napoleon Dynamite, but. I guess it's worth a watch. Yeah. I didn't think it was amazing by any means, but. <laughs> All right. So uh, I watched The Founder. I saw a screening of this probably like, I don't know, three weeks ago or so now. Yeah. It's yeah. the new McDonald's movie. Uh, it's directed by John Lee Hancock, who did The Blind Side and Saving Mr. Banks. A sequel to Supersize Me. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and, um, I don't know, it's a pretty safe biopic for the most part, and I feel like if it was handled by a different director, it might have been better. Uh, it was actually, the script was written by Robert D. Siegel, who wrote The Wrestler, which is a favorite film of mine. Yeah, so. it's one of my favorites as well. Um, but yeah, I mean, the it's, it's about the story of Ray Kroc and how McDonald's came to be as like a franchise and corporation, and it gets to a point in the movie where like Ray Kroc maybe you know, did something bad as far as like, because the McDonald's basically originated as um, a, a restaurant down in Texas. It's just like a small little, you know, restaurant, burger, fry shack. Yeah. And uh, two brothers run it, but they don't want to see it become anything more than that. Like they're just happy with what it is. And then Ray Kroc discovers this and he just wants to, you know, he, he sees the potential in it. He wants to make a buck. Exactly, yeah. And so uh, he, he just takes the idea and runs with it. And towards the end of the movie, it it tries to make him seem like a bad guy. But then also it doesn't really go like that deep. Because I think like part of the reason is 
maybe McDonald's wanted to save their name a little bit as far as. So it doesn't really take a firm stance no. on like the <laughs> ethics of what the situation involved. Right. Cause I mean, I can definitely see both sides of it and I don't really want to spoil too much about it. You know, just in case you are interested in seeing the movie, even though it is history, I mean, you could probably read up on it. Yeah, yeah. Um, but yeah, I mean, I had to see this just because I worked at McDonald's when I was in high school, and um, I thought Michael Keaton was pretty good in it as well. Um, but it's not anywhere on the level of like the wrestler. Even people compare this to like Wolf of Wall Street, and yeah, I've heard that comparison. I too. wouldn't put it on that level as well. But it's definitely worth the watch, especially if you're interested in you know how McDonald's came to be. I'll probably watch it. I don't know if I'll see it in the theater or not, especially if there's a lot of stuff coming out I want to see. But yeah. I do want to watch it eventually. I, Michael Keaton's performance is supposed to be pretty good. I mean, would you agree? Yeah. I mean, I don't think it's like Oscar worthy or anything like that, but it's solid. Fair enough. He's always been a good actor for the most part. How many do you have left? Um, I have... That you want to cover today? Like three-ish. Okay, you want to do one more? Because I only have one more, so why don't you knock off another one and then you can close it out with whatever you want to talk about. Okay, so I watched Knock Knock, the oh uh, one of the newer movies directed by Eli Roth. He did this in The Green Inferno right around the same time. Mm-hmm. And um, I'm actually a fan of Eli Roth. I know he's hit or miss for some people. He's exclusively miss. Yeah, Matt hates him. <laughs> <laughs> I haven't seen all of his movies, and I wouldn't say I've enjoyed all of them, um, but I I love Cabin Fever. Um, I think that movie is just a lot of fun, and um, <laughs> I really like Hostel as well. Matt's just sitting with his arms folded, shaking his head at me. Yeah, right those, they're, they're all bad. He's never made a good movie, and he never will make a good movie because he's a fucking hater. <laughs> Whatever, Matt. Cabin Fever <laughs> and Hostel are a lot of fun, in my opinion, and... Um, I do love him as the bear Jew in Glorious Bastards. He's the worst part in Glorious Bastards. You don't like the scene when he comes out of the like hallway? I just think he's a bad actor. I think he's fine. If literally any other person played that part, it could have been fucking... Uh... Oh, do you think Quentin Tarantino's a good actor? No. Okay. I so wish he wouldn't be in his I movies would, either. I would say they're on par, at least. I, yeah, they're both shitty <laughs> actors who like to put themselves in each other's movies. Well, yeah, I mean... Isn't I, Quentin Tarantino in Hostel? Isn't he one of the... Like, maybe I, he doesn't show his face. I know he was, like, a producer, but... Is, I don't know if he's he in like, that a small cameo I, in it? I know he's in, like... He's in Planet Terror, right? Yeah. But I don't know if he's in Hostel or not. He Wait, might Planet be. Terror is Robert Rodriguez. Yeah, but he's in that. Oh, least. that's what you're saying. Yeah, he, his dick, like, melts off in that movie. Yeah, I think so. <laughs> <laughs> I gotta watch that again. Maybe he's bad. <laughs> but anyway, so, uh, yeah, Knock Knock is... Another home invasion movie. I feel like we've seen a lot of those types of movies lately. My favorite type of horror movie. And I'm still not going to watch this piece of shit. But. <laughs> I wouldn't recommend it. <laughs> um, it's it's kind of like a play on Little Red or Little Red Riding Hood. Uh, two girls disguise themselves as people in need. They show up to Keanu Reeves' character's house, and he's like home alone for the weekend. And um, their goal is to basically get in the house, and they. They basically try and seduce him to see if it works, <laughs> and it does. <laughs> <laughs> but then shit kind of goes down, and then things get pretty crazy, and then the movie ends. It's <laughs> uh, a lot of running time on this bad boy. It's only like 90 minutes long. I would say I was on board for about the first 30 minutes of it, and 
the premise isn't anything like inventive, but it did interest me. And since it was Eli Roth, I thought I'd give it a watch. Um, but yeah, it kind of just falls apart and I don't really understand like what his point was or like why he made this movie. Like, I mean, it's not that entertaining. And then if there's a message behind it, like it just didn't resonate with me. And I even listened to, he has an interview on Elvis Mitchell's podcast, the treatment. And he talks about like his goal of the film and what he portrays the film as. And I don't really buy it. Um, I mean, the movie to me is basically bad things can happen to people and you know, that's life. (laughs) (laughs) What? Yeah. But it, it didn't, it wasn't that entertaining. The performances weren't that great. I mean, Eli Roth says Keanu Reeves is amazing. Like he's an amazing actor and he's amazing in this movie. He's fine. I mean, but yeah, it just watch cabin fever hostile. (laughs) Uh, don't watch those movies. And then, um, I'll go over. So I, I bought the Harry Potter collection. Oh yeah. Uh, during black Friday and I've only seen like one of them. I think I saw the first one and I maybe saw a random one or random parts of one like along the way, but like I've never read the books, never watched the movies. So like I'm fresh in this world of Harry Potter. And, um, so the first one, Harry Potter and the Philosopher's Stone got the UK set. (laughs) Oh, right. Right. Yeah. We talked about this when we first recorded, but, uh, yeah, so I bought the UK set because it was on sale during Black Friday. And then a couple of days later, the US set went on sale, but the UK one had already shipped. So I was, I just, I just have to deal with it. They're all the same at this point. Really right. Yeah. Except the movie, whenever Sorcerer's Stone is said, they say Philosopher's Stone. But I'm pretty sure besides that, everything else in the movie is the same. Yeah. Um, but yeah, the first one, it's a good origin story. Uh, I like the way it introduces all the characters and sets up the franchise. I could see this being like some kids' Star Wars, you know, depending on what age they were when this was introduced. Um, It's got the perfect amount of like light and dark. It's not too scary, but, you know, it has like some of those elements. And um, the effects are pretty dated in the first one. And I'm actually going to lump the second movie into this review because i don't really have much to say about chamber of secrets i mean it kind of feels like just it's not as good as the first one, more of the first one but just you know not introducing or building the characters um but yeah you can tell that the uh the second movie got more of a budget and it's crazy how much daniel radcliffe aged in just like those two movies <laughs> <laughs> this was a little baby yeah. in the first one. <laughs> so yeah i'm curious to see because i i'm pretty sure they all, you know, grow up over the course of like seven years and look way different than they did in the first one. Um, but yeah, that's really all I have to say about them. I'm excited to watch the other ones and, um, I'll probably touch on those as the, uh, episodes go on. Yeah. I'm definitely going to be curious to see how you, especially since you haven't read the books, like right. so you can actually like, it's all like new to you. So all the, plot except I, there's a everything. major spoiler that has been spoiled for me, which what? Should I say it? It's fucking Harry Potter. What what does it matter? (laughs) Everyone's seen Harry Potter. That Dumbledore dies. Oh, okay. Well, you you don't know when he dies or how he dies, I'm sure. He's really fucking old, so no. Yeah. (laughs) He's got to die sometime. Yeah, that doesn't. 
Well, cool. Uh, I only have one other thing. I have one other thing as well, but do you want to talk about The Shining at all? Or... Yeah, we can we can talk about it a little bit. So we do this thing with our friends from work where we um, – it's like a little movie club thing. So we take turns picking movies and we watch them together. Uh, so we watched The Shining and Travis's brother had actually never seen this movie. So he was kind of mixed on it. He was confused by the plot. Like, I think he was trying to make too much sense of what was happening literally and got too caught up in that. So we kind of had to go through and, like, explain why things happen, but also, like, tell him that it doesn't really matter. That's not really what the movie was. Right. The movie's not supposed to make total sense. Yeah. And he, he was judging it based off, like, a straightforward narrative and I mean, you could definitely poke holes at the movie in that sense, but that's not what the movie's trying to do. But it was interesting watching the movie with him and then hearing his thoughts of it afterwards. Um, but a, a friend of ours, he's read the book multiple times and seen you know the movie multiple times, and he was shedding some light on what each thing meant to my brother. And um, it seemed like my brother was a little bit more on board with it after that. Yeah. Yeah, definitely. But I also kind of think he still doesn't really get with all the fusses about with that movie. Right. But I mean, he's not one to like, uh, he's very interesting with his (laughs) choice of movies. Yeah. He loves, he he likes more recent movies. Yeah. Like he loves 2012 (laughs) loves Independence Day. Just like, you know, big popcorn movies, which is, I like, I I like some of those too. Yeah. um, so yeah, that was definitely interesting. Um, I'll talk about the beaver. I watched this movie. Uh, it's Mel Gibson, uh, Jodie Foster and Jodie Foster also directed it. Um, Mel Gibson plays, uh, a man who is having, he's in like a deep depression and doesn't know how to cope. So he uses this like radical, basically treatment method where this like hand puppet who's a beaver is like his surrogate to the world. So he talks to every, everybody through this beaver and people are supposed to address the beaver. Um, It's an interesting movie. I wouldn't necessarily say it's a good movie. Um, It kind of goes off the deep end toward the end for sure. Because the beaver, he ends up thinking the beaver is like an actual personality and it's like he's trying to ruin his life so he there's a stupid like fight scene with the beaver where he's like punching himself and like the beaver grabs a guitar and smashes it over mel gibson's head and like the the climax is that he basically cuts off his hand in his garage like the hand that the puppet's on um it's kind of all over the place it's definitely worth a watch i think mel gibson's performance is is decent there's like a subplot with uh, Anton Yelchin, who plays uh, Mel Gibson's son, and uh, Jennifer Lawrence is in it. So they're both in high school. So there's this like subplot with them that I really didn't find that interesting. They could have just cut it out of the movie, and it wouldn't have made that much of a difference to me. Um, it was okay, worth a watch, but I can I wouldn't recommend it. Yeah, I, I watched it when it first came out. Um, I don't I remember like basic plot details of it, but I remember being in, it just being good but not great mm-hmm. um i remember people there's a little bit of buzz around it when it first came out um but yeah I, I thought it was just okay probably worth the watch but you know nothing more than that and um so i have one last thing to touch on before we discuss unbreakable yeah 
All right, so I watched Stop Making Sense, the concert documentary directed by Jonathan Demme. It's the Talking Heads concert, concert documentary. Oh, yeah. So, Matt, are you a fan of Talking Heads? Yeah, I love Talking Heads. I fucking love Talking Heads. Yeah. <laughs> but I did not love them prior to this viewing of Stop Making Sense. Wait, really? Well, okay, so my history of the Talking Heads prior to this was never really listened to them. I knew of their hits, but I didn't know that those hits were their hits. Oh, okay. And, like, this is a band that, like, my dad loves, but when he was listening to them when I was younger, I was probably too busy listening to, like, the Marshall Mathers LP. (laughs) (laughs) And, um, no, but, um, so the reason why I watched this is I've always heard good things about it, and um, I did a seven-day trial of Sundance Now. It's it's like a streaming service that's like an extension of Amazon. Amazon, yeah. Yeah. And there's a movie I... The reason why I did the trial was to watch a movie that I'm going to talk about next episode. Okay. Um, but I figured I'd get a little bit more out of my seven-day trial, so I threw this on. Um, and this is a five-star top five concert doc all day. <laughs> it is a must-see of any fan of Talking Heads or just... Music history in general. Just, just fucking watch it. It is amazing. <laughs> when did this come out? 1984. That long ago? Yeah. Damn. I um, knew it, it was old, but I didn't remember when it came out. Interesting. Yeah, I mean, it's it's a concert doc. There's there's no, like, interviews. There's no, you know... It's, it's literally just them playing a show. Um, but I thought Jonathan Demme captured their performance perfectly... Um, It's fun just watching them jam on stage and the show starts like very basic, like the lead singer comes out, uh, plays like a tape on his cassette player and there's there's like nothing behind him. The band's not even out there yet. And, um, you know, there's no backdrop, there's no set design, nothing. It's just like a a blank stage and he shows up and they start with uh, Psycho Killer Mm -hmm. and slowly over the course of the film um probably you know towards like the third or fourth song that the band members start slowly coming out the the backdrops start getting set um there's you know a couple things added to the stage um but yeah it's it's just so much fun to watch like i have to own this at some point and i could see this being like something to throw on like while you're cleaning the house or you know building some ikea furniture uh because i mean it's more about the music than because I don't know, like, once you see a concert documentary, you probably wouldn't want to watch it in, intently, you know, over and over and over. But just the music itself is amazing. Like, um, my favorite song of theirs as of right now, uh, after watching this, is Girlfriend is Better. Mm-hmm. And if you see, if you listen to the original version of that versus the live version, the live version blows it out of the fucking water. Like, the live version just, like, intensifies it, makes it so much more enjoyable. Uh, there's so much more energy to it. And uh, Matt, you better put one of their songs as the intro or outro. All right, all right, I will. <laughs> Just for me. <laughs> um, but yeah, I've been listening to their actual live album of this since then. Like, it's the only music I've listened to since I've watched it. Really? I've listened to podcasts and Talking Heads Stop Making Sense. Nice. Yeah, um, talking heads are great. You should listen to their like recorded stuff too. It's, yeah, it's really good. I definitely want to, but I'm just I'm just stuck on this live album. Yeah, but I mean, n- nothing but praise for this. If you haven't seen it, check it out, or at the very least, listen to their CD. 
actually had a conversation with my dad yesterday about Talking Heads because I texted him after I saw it, basically tell him that I saw it because I knew he was a Talking Heads fan and he just got back to me the other day and he was just like, oh yeah, if, if they if they ever come here, we got to go see them. And I was like, well, dad, I mean, the last time they toured was like 2002, but I'm definitely down. Maybe Coachella 2018. Yeah. <laughs> but yes, Talking Heads, new favorite band. I'll have to watch that, <laughs> yeah, for sure. All right. Well, do we want to talk about Unbreakable before uh, sure. before we go? Um, so as I had already said, I, I thought I had seen this movie when it first came out. Turns out, super have not seen this movie. I thought it was something that I saw like on TNT when I was a kid or something because I know my dad used to watch it, but I realized I've never actually seen it. So I don't know. I thought it was kind of boring. It was definitely, it was a good movie, and it's one of Shyamalan's better movies, but I feel like it gets a little bit too much credit. It is a little slow, I will say that, like, especially at the start. I mean, it's more of just like a a mystery that just kind of unfolds itself over the course of it, and even, like, the climax of, like, Bruce Willis almost dying is, like... I thought that was kind of lame. Yeah, it's just like him falling in a pool and, like, getting caught under the, like, pool screen or whatever... Like that to be like your like last action scene or whatever of like a technically a superhero movie, it was kind of lame. But like the the end scene between Mr. Glass and David is amazing. Like where they tie everything together and reveal like what what's all happened and that was all Mr. Glass. I'm probably jumping ahead a little too much. But yeah, that's fine. <laughs> um, but yeah. Um, it's very it's very abrupt like i do like that scene but it just kind of ends with bruce willis's character leaving the room and then a freeze frame and then it pops up with like um saying david dunn like reported mr glass or elijah is his name elijah glass to the authorities and they found evidence of like three terrorist attacks or whatever they call it and then the movie just kind of ends like yeah i don't know i I just think it's cool how like so like david is can't be harmed basically physically and has like a tremendous like physical strength and then mr glass is it's all in his mind like he's very powerful with his mind and can make certain things happen but he's also someone i don't know the like disability but he suffers from like a disability where his like, it's like brittle bone disease yeah like his, his, he doesn't produce a certain protein in his bone so his bones break very easily um, but him and David are kind of composed of the, like, I mean, they both have like the superhero, like, I don't know what you call it. <laughs> <laughs> well, I, I mean, I definitely like that for most of the movie, they're framed as partners. And then you mm-hmm. find out at the end that like Mr. Glass is actually like a psychopath and he is like hundreds of people have died because of him. Yeah. So that was definitely interesting, but and I, I do like that it's a very it's very subdued, like almost all of the movie is very grounded in reality. And even the stuff that isn't, like I, I like the idea that there's just like Mr. Glass spent his whole life trying to find someone to find proof that like superhumans do exist. So he's mm-hmm. been doing this and then he actually finds David Dunn. Um, it was entertaining. I'm definitely glad that I watched it. It was a little bit of a bummer that Split spoiled the ending of unbreakable for me because i knew that 
Mr. Glass was a serial killer, so I knew that he was going to end up being, you know, a bad guy. So yeah. when you find out that he orchestrated yeah. all these disasters, that was kind of a bummer. So I wish I could have seen it. I wish I had seen it before Split. Like, I wish I had seen right. this years ago. Um, really cool movie. I like what it does with superheroes. But The movie's... I mean, there's a lot of long takes in it. Did you notice that? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Like, it's mostly composed of long takes, um, like the train scene at the beginning. The camera just lingers from Bruce Willis's character over to like a girl on the train, and then it like turns around and his kid is there as well. Or is it? Or it's a different kid, I think. It's a different kid. Yeah, but it's all like in one take, and then like there's a. I mean, it's mostly you know one takes, but then like there's like another scene that. Do you remember the scene of uh, Bruce Willis and Samuel Jackson's character talking at like the football stadium and it just slowly like pulls back? Yeah, yeah, I do remember that. That was pretty cool as well. A lot of cool direction. In the movie. Yeah, and it does feel a little Hotch- or Hitchcockian, which is one of M. Night's influences. Yeah. He's came out and said that. Like it's very classically shot. It's not too flashy with the camera. Um, and it's it does feel just like one of those like old school like mystery thrillers that like Hitchcock made back in the day but then there's like this superhero twist on it like towards the end of it yeah uh, very enjoyable um I thought Bruce Willis's performance is pretty good yeah um like the scene uh with his son in the kitchen oh where he wants to where he's gonna shoot him yeah yeah to prove that he's has to he, he he can't hurt. be harmed yeah that's yeah. A pretty intense scene and then I also like the scene of uh where they're discovering that he has like super strength of him. Oh, lifting the weights in the garage. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. That was cool. I also like that they didn't actually show the train accident, you know? Yeah. It's about to happen, but you don't actually see it. Like, I feel like a different movie would it, there, it would have been this like huge, like catastrophic scene where you're seeing like mangled bodies and metal breaking and the train derailing and hitting, you know, going yeah. off the rails and hitting a house, you know, whatever it is. But I like that that's all left to the imagination. You don't see like pictures of the accident. Right. Or well, anything. I mean, the the next scene is his kid flipping through the t- TV and he comes across the the news. And it has the train exit on it. It's like an aerial shot of like, yeah, right, like from like the helicopter. Yeah, yeah. but yeah, I, I like that scene as well because the kid's just like flipping through the channels and like nothing's interesting him and interesting him, and then he flips to the the train accident. And he's like, oh shit, like my dad is on that train. <laughs> yeah, where would where would you rank this in uh in Shyamalan's filmography? Mm, probably near the top. For real. <laughs> Yeah, um, I'd have to pull up his stuff, but I've got here. I've got the list pulled up here. So it started with the Sixth Sense. That's probably still my number one. I love that movie. Then he did Unbreakable, and then Signs, The Village, Lady in the Water, which neither of us have seen. The Happening, which is his worst movie that I've seen. Um, Last Airbender, haven't seen it. After Earth, haven't seen it, but he only directed that. I don't think he had a writing credit on that right. one. Um, and then The Visit, which I saw, but you didn't see. And I fucking hated that movie. That was the worst movie I saw in 2015. Wow. Garbage movie. Uh, and then Split, which is probably toward the bottom of what I have seen of his. But I would go I would go Sixth Sense. Signs, probably. I love Signs. And then Unbreakable. Followed closely by the village. Like Unbreakable was good, but probably part of the reason why I was not super 
into split even after having seen Unbreakable is that I just don't think Unbreakable as well, deserving of all the praise that it gets. I do like the whole idea of Unbreakable as it's like classic superhero tropes as far as heroes and villains go, where the hero's powers are like the polar opposites of the villains, but like, and then they both possess like the same weakness. Right, like similar psychology. Yeah. They share something, but they're also polar opposites. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and I also liked uh, the conversation that... Um, Mr. Glass has regarding like supervillains and that ties into split because you mm-hmm. have like the the methodical like intellectual supervillain and then you have like the brute force villain so that's Mr. Glass and the Horde are kind of both ends of that spectrum so that's another thing that kind of ties in with split which I thought right. was interesting having seen Unbreakable now yeah yeah like like in our split review um just like the last five or ten minutes of Unbreakable just make me more excited for split and what comes after split i'll be curious to see what he does with this yeah. franchise in the future that's for sure anything else you want to say about split or not split unbreakable um no okay well that's gonna do it for episode two uh we'll be back next week uh the feature review i believe is going to be john wick chapter two which we've already discussed um you can follow us on itunes stitcher soundcloud subscribe Tell your friends. Uh, you can follow me on Twitter. My handle is at Matt Sabreros. That's C-E-B-R-E-R-O-S. It's also my letterbox handle. You can also find us on cinephilesdigest.com. There's a link to the SoundCloud stream. we got the show notes on there. Uh, Travis, you want to plug some stuff? Sure. Uh, letterboxd, I'm Travis Paul. That's T-R-A-V-I-S-P-A-U-L. And then if you want to play some Overwatch with me, I'm on Xbox and PlayStation 4 at Darth Paul 64 It's like a play on Darth Maul. <laughs> <laughs> Had that handle for years. I only have PlayStation, but if you want to add me on there, it's uh, Cletus, C-L-E-T-I-S underscore Van Dam, V-A-N-D-A-M-M-E. Uh, play a lot of Overwatch. Um, so hit us up on there. We're all gamers. Tom has a PlayStation as well. I don't know what his handle is off the top of my head, but we'll get him to say it on the next episode if you want to play some games with us. Um, So that's going to do it for this episode. Thanks for tuning in. We'll see you next week.